Rebecca, we don't hear you. Thank you. Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, December 30th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's story on page 3, the last paragraph beginning with, In 1929 I contracted. Today's readers are, reading the 12 steps is Daiya, reading the OA 12 traditions is Berta, and reading the literature are Judy F., Judy B., Chelsea, and Devora. The reference number for Sunday, December 29th, is 5672. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through the ab- through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Daiya to read the OA 12 steps. Uh, good morning. This is uh, Daiya, a recovered compulsive overeater calling from Illinois. The 12 Steps of Recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, 
Having had a spiritual awakening as the results of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Daya. I will now ask Berta to read the OA 12 Traditions. This is Berta, a recovered compulsive overeater from Illinois. The 12 Traditions. First, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Second, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Third, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Fourth, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Fifth, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Sixth, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seventh, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eighth, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Ninth, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Tenth, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleventh, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We always need maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelfth, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I'll pass. Thank you, Berta. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And I just want to add that today in particular, we need to be very careful about keeping our lines muted unless we are the speaker because um, we're having some tech technical concerns on the line and uh, we need to rely more heavily on each of us that's participating on the line. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 1, Bill's story on page 3, the last paragraph beginning with, In 1929 I contracted. I will ask Judy F. to begin reading. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Judy F., Recovered uh, Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Can you hear me, Rebecca? Yes, Judy, I do okay. hear you. Thank you. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud, while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to caroam around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. And again, this is Judy F. Um, from Massachusetts. And I can really identify into this paragraph. Um, it, I mean, it shows the the progression um, of Bill's alcoholism, you know, when it was um, drinking every day and every night. Um, that, that is how my, my disease, my compulsive overeating, um, and my bulimia uh, started to be a day, every day and night. Um, and the other thing I could um, relate to is um, that, you know, golf permitted drinking every day and every night, so permitted it. And I found activities that, one, I could, um, where I could eat, um, and then also activities where I could um, practice my exercise bulimia to try to control, control the, so that I wouldn't get fat. And, um, as, you know, even younger, I, I chose to go to uh, babysitting, and I only babysat for people that had really good food and that were like, oh, eat whatever you want. And that, that was, um, it could permit me. And then I found friends that also enjoyed, we would call them pig-out parties. And then in college, I chose friends that, um, and I, I didn't get, you know, what, Bill was looking back at this, and that's, I didn't, I was in denial about how, oh, how obsessed and how dependent I was on, on the food until I got out of it and was looking back. Um, I just thought it was normal. Um, you know, I, I have friends that like to do what I do and, and with um, eating. So, um, but it did, that's the sad thing about our illness. It always gets worse, never gets better. And it did become an every day and every night for me. Um, I, I had been a binger, but then I was a brave binger where it was. Um, I had lost my job. I was pretty much at home. Uh, watching TV and just in the food um, all the time. 
And then if I wasn't in the food, I was trying to get rid of the food with my bulimia. So, um, and, you know, just he his denial was still here, and I was in denial for a long time. And I'm just so grateful that um, for whatever reason, there was a day when it, it, the denial broke down, and I was desperate, willing, and there was um, a solution for me. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Lori G from Boston. Lauren. Did I hear, did I hear Lauren and Katie G? Yes. Yep. Lauren, go right ahead. Thank you. I was, uh, hi, I'm Lauren S., a recovered compulsive reader from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was going to see these paragraphs through my uh, big book workshop, How I Got Recovered. I was told to answer these questions. So paragraph three, or page three, that paragraph, did I begin to act out around food in the morning? And absolutely, I I used to have to use food to get right before church, um, which actually is, again, which actually is, is not respected in my particular church. We, part of our um, belief is you don't eat before church, and I used to do that anyways because they needed the food for that hour. Also, for this top paragraph on page four, I was I was told to, to ask myself and, and write in, did I begin to act out around food to escape from problems sometimes brought on by the compulsive overeating? Oh, my gosh. That was the story of my life. And I wrote, the more I binged, the more I wanted to lose weight. And it was this horrible dichotomy of I just needed the food and that I gained weight because those 10,000 calories in two hours the next morning, uh, they're not just going to go away. And um, I was hearing, uh, I just identify so much. And and I was hearing, hearing someone share the other night people would say, oh, you're depressed, you're depressed. And he said, well, you know, my toxic substance I'm ingesting is a depressant. So, um, yeah, thank you, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Katie G. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. Grateful to be here on the line, abstinent and sober. And, um, what I really got from this reading, this paragraph this morning was these delusions of grandeur, right? Like he's saying he started out to overtake Walter Hagen, which uh, he was apparently a golf pro. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's a, he was a golf pro at some, at, at that time. And, um, and yeah, I, um, I can remember, um, you know, getting really anorexically thin and fantasizing about myself. And so much of my life when I was eating was fantasizing of who I am and who who I think I am and, and this idea um, that I'm, you know, Walter Hagen, that I'm a superstar, that I'm that I'm really thin, that I'm beautiful. I've, I love that he writes, I acquired the impeccable coat of a tan one sees on the well-to-do, and I remember in one particularly bad binge going to this store, this, like, 
you know, healthy store and being like, I'm going to buy all this fancy food and, you know, what am I doing? I'm going home and binging my brains out. And I remember another time um, thinking of myself like the beginning of a movie, right? And I thought close in on, you know, slender girl. Somehow I'm slender all of a sudden and she's looking at the, you know, photo albums. And the truth is... I was sitting there with boxes and bags and shoving it in my mouth, you know, and I love too that um, they give us this image of the local banker whirling fat checks with amused skepticism. And the reason I love that is because I thought I was hiding my disease from everyone. And what I, to me, what this is saying is that the local, local banker is, is pretty amused here, you know, that, that those out there, uh, spending all this money and um you know i just i i know that i was a lot more transparent than i thought i was and i know that i am today that i thought i was hiding it that i thought everybody saw me as this faultless person and yet you know a lot of people saw that you know katie you know you got into school one semester and you were 110 pounds and you know 10 months later you were 228 pounds why because i had a symptom of a deeper twofold illness of an allergy of the body the and the obsession of the mind and my drinking and my eating was assuming such serious proportions that, you know, as other people said, it started to make decisions for me, you know, like who I would hang out with, where I would go, what I would do, and what I would not do. And um, I'm just grateful to see and know and live in reality today, right? I'm not fantasizing about who I am and who I think I'm going to be one day while I'm stuffing my face. I'm actually living in the truth of reality and uh, living in abstinence in the 12 steps. And for that, I am truly grateful. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Janice? Janice, Go ahead, Janice. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Good morning to everyone. Janice, recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I I can identify and relate so much to this paragraph. I was dying on the inside, but I wanted you to think that everything was wonderful in my life. I would buy the best clothes. I would buy the best jewelry. Because if you saw me on the outside, and I looked pretty good, you know, whether I was heavy or I was thin, it didn't matter. I still was very bad on the inside. And um, this is, you know, it showed prior in the prior paragraph how the progression, you know, um, affected his social life deterioration, his uh, marriage. Now it's beginning to affect his physical life, not only with with is being drunk, but jittery. Jittery is a is a very bad stage in, in alcoholism. And as Bill, I you know the doctors told me, Janice, your cholesterol's going high. You're on the borderline of diabetes, you know. And uh, but you see, el- uh, the food for me, my trigger foods were were the master. So I wasn't going to listen to anybody. I looked good on the outside, you know, even when I was thin. But that didn't say that I was well. I was still not well. So this is very important. The more progression, the disease is in charge here. When I was getting jittery in the morning and I needed that donut or whatever I thought I needed, the disease is in charge here. So, um, you know, it's like the um, it's like the criminal that goes to court and is all dressed up in a suit and tie and, and nice clothes. Well, she couldn't be a criminal. Well, yeah, she could be just because she looks good doesn't mean she is good. And with that, 
I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Did anyone else want to share on what was read in this paragraph? Okay. Well, uh, this is Rebecca. and uh, Hi, this is Kathy in Boston. May I share, Rebecca? Sure, sure, Kathy. Go right ahead. Thank you for your service. I'm Kathy from Boston, and uh, I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And this paragraph for me um, reminds me of when I was striving early in my career I wasn't going after golf. I was going after fame and achievement and recognition in my career. And to everyone on the outside, it looked like I was having a lot of success and enjoying what I was doing. But on the inside, I was miserable. I was... um, spending 90% of my waking hours in anxiety, worry, and depression, and I was eating constantly. And um, really what first uh, tipped me off to this unreality that I was living in was the fact that I became diabetic. Um, And all of a sudden it was a wake-up call that, you know, when I overate, as I did all the time, I was also killing myself with the food um, because of my diabetes. Um, And it's just remarkable that for so long I was uh, keeping up this image um, and, uh, you know, I was so intent on getting what I wanted that I couldn't see what was right in front of me to see, um, the misery, the depression, uh, the illness of diabetes. Um, And only when I came to these rooms and began to learn about Bill's experience did I make the connection that it was my overeating, my compulsive overeating that was killing me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Did anyone else want to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. Hi, Larry. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you for your service. Uh, Larry, compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, you know, what I take out of this just briefly is is maybe the, the, the larger issue for me. Um, what I read in this um, is uh, is a... You know, we're trying to get uh, to a place of, a, of God consciousness from self-consciousness, you know, God-centric from ego-centric. And I read um, in this, uh, you know, a person, it begins to describe and you see a life unfold much like mine where the person was still focused on the self and the the person was not uh, focused on others and on a connection to a higher power. I always want to be reminded of you know, the purpose for me, at least, uh, in working these steps and and the tools, because, of course, the fellowship, the tools, a sponsor, any of these things never brought me a spiritual awakening. You know, the purpose for for, um, this this entire program is to effect a, a, a complete and total psychic change. Some may refer to it as a spiritual uh, change, spiritual transformation. 
Others may refer to it as just a, a complete personality shift sufficient to arrest this, this disease. And, you know, the, let's never forget that the core part of the message um, and what I read in this, this paragraph is we need to move from self-consciousness to God-consciousness. Yes, indeed, I, too, um, when I was into the disease, uh, my focus, you know, th there were times where I could sh certainly show you evidence that I, you know, I did nice things for other people, you know, or, uh, but, but generally, my focus was primarily on myself. And we'll see as this unfolds, uh, as most stories, you know, people that are well on their way uh, and are recovered uh, in this program as they move from self-consciousness to God-consciousness. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kenzie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I think everyone's done such a wonderful job of, of making Bill's story their story um, with all these great examples. And I just want to kind of tweak on another um, sentence in here. It says, it was fun to crown around the exclusive course, which inspired such awe as me as a, as a lad. So you see here, he's using all these outside circumstances to try to make him feel better. You know, if he can become as good of a golfer as Walter Hagen, who was the Tiger Woods of the time, then everything's going to be okay. You know, I always thought if I can become homecoming queen at my high school, then everything's going to be okay. If I can get that cute football player to ask me to the dance, everything's going to be okay. You know, I think of, you know, this time of the year, these exclusive courses, we put so much pressure on ourselves around these holidays. You know, we're trying to create this Norman Rockwell picture of our family. And if we do that, then everything is going to be okay. You know, I remember, you know, if I could go into Philadelphia, and if, as long as I was eating at these high-class restaurants, then that was fine. You know, maybe sitting in the, in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant binging in the corner was pretty low class. But if I could go into these ritzy restaurants in Philadelphia and binge, then I was a classy lady. You know, so he's trying to give this, this impression that everything is okay by the status. You know, if I throw the best Christmas party and have a cookie exchange with my, all my neighbors, then that's classy as opposed to sitting in a dark bathroom, which I would do many times at a, at a holiday party and, and sneak cookies into my pockets and sit in the toilet eating these cookies, you know, that, you know, golf permitted drinking every day and every night. I mean, I think about the fact we have a, a cable station that's totally dedicated to food. You know, we're using every excuse to be around the food. You know, we're going to go see the latest Food Network star, and as long as we're going there and we're doing all that testing, isn't that wonderful? You know, how many of us, when we have friends that have these home parties, yeah, I would go to the ones that had the food, the you know, the pampered chef, the dove chocolate, all those different things. But if they were selling handbags and jewelry, I would have nothing to do with that. I was using every excuse to be around the food. When I was in college, we would have fundraisers. Did I sell bookmarkers or did I sell, you know, friendship bracelets? No, I always sold the M&Ms. And the fact of the matter was it was very expensive to do that because I ate all the M&Ms and had to pay for them because I never got to sell them because I was binging on them myself. You can see he's using this excuse. I don't think he would have been golfing, except that golfing allowed him to drink. 
golfing it was acceptable to be drinking at the country club, to be drinking on the course. So we ask ourselves, are we now creating a life in which everything is revolved around the food? You know, is Thanksgiving a time to get together with family or is it more important of what dish we're bringing and what dish other people are bringing? So it's saying here that the focus, as though he's showing this outside world that everything is, you know, he's successful, the banker's impressed, the people in the golf course are impressed. But, but what he is doing is he's creating this house of cards of all these outside circumstances. And if the outside circumstances look well enough, then he's, he's not going to have to binge. He's not going to have to partake to the extreme that he wants to. And I can so relate to that. You know, get down to a certain size, and as long as my physical body isn't showing it, it doesn't matter that I'm binging and purging. It doesn't matter that I have to spend two hours on an elliptical in order to earn a Snickers bar. If I keep those outside circumstances, if I keep the boyfriend, if I keep the other things, then I am going to give that impression and I will be able to control and enjoy my eating. Because that's the great delusion of every compulsive overeater. If I can control and enjoy my eating, everything will be okay. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Did anyone else? This is Amy. Yes, this is Amy. Go ahead, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Maryland. This disease is fraught with the three Ds, and others have already talked about it, denial, delusion, and defiance. I mean, what is Bill denying here? He's denying that there is a problem. If we remember in the prior paragraph, there's been remonstrations from friends terminating in a row. There are unhappy scenes in their apartment saying, hey, Look here, we see a problem here, but the denial of this disease is so strong. What does Bill do? He, he, he does a geographical cure. I mean, I can't tell you how many geographical cures I've done to try to just deny the fact that there was a problem and point the finger out at everybody else. It was everybody else's problems. They don't understand. I don't have a problem. I just need the next diet. I'll lose a few pounds when I want to. I just don't feel like it. Denial, the delusion, delusions of grandeur. Oh, he's going to be the next Walter Hagen. You know, I'm going to be the next top supermodel. Uh, just wait till I get to that magic number on the scale. The delusion of this disease that, it, you know, they say in step one that our minds are warped. This is what this disease does, the denial of the delusion. My mind was warped. And I was thinking that if I could just find the right diet, the magic fix, the quick fix, the easy fix with no effort on my part, if I could meet the numbers on the scale, that my life would come together. If I hit that magic number, I would get everything that I want, that I would be happy, that thin was well. I just needed to be thin, and my life would magically come together. You know, he was now going to get the perfect tan. He was going to beat Walter Hagen. And the defiance, the defiance of wrong checks like the like grows on trees. Well, we're going to find out what happens with that in the next paragraph. But we defy. We deny, we delude ourselves, and we defy. We flat out defy. I'm 40 pounds overweight, but I defy that by trying on the pants that are three sizes smaller and pouring myself into them, thinking, oh, no, it's not a problem. Or doing a crash diet where I starve for four days or five days, thinking that will fix it. We defy reality. We delude ourselves. 
And this is where the mental obsession is so destructive because by this time, Bill's mind is warped by this, this disease. Not only is the allergy being triggered every single day as he drinks every single day golfing, it's the mental obsession that is continuing to progress. This disease is progressing to the point he can't see or and I couldn't see reality the true reality of what this disease was doing to me and how it was ruling and controlling and destroying my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Why don't we move on to the next paragraph with Judy B. This is Judy B., grateful recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape, which bore the inscription XYZ. 32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished, and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old, fierce determination to win came back. Wow. Just um, more denial, uh, more delusion, uh, more defiance. Um, I just, I identify with this paragraph because I see that, that Bill's thinking was so distorted. And that's what my thinking was when I was um, into the into the disease. You know, he said I was finished, and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of fi- high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. You know, he was thinking that he was better than these people. He wouldn't, he wouldn't succumb to that. He went back into the bar. The bar, a place of slow suicide. He went back into the bar. And that's what I did for years. I went back into the uh, fast food restaurants, into the kitchen, into the car, just um, using food so that I didn't have to face reality. You know, Bill's thinking was, was so distorted, so irrational, and I, I so identify with that. You know, his drinking gave him a false sense of security, and that's what food did to me for so long. And um, it's just, uh, there's just such a difference between being in that state and being so insane in our thinking and then coming to a point where we we see this and understand this and um, 
and we're given through our higher power a way to change it, a solution. A, a very, a very poignant uh, paragraph just uh, explaining the devastation, the devastation of our thinking when we're in the disease. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Hi, may I share? Thank you, Judy. Sarah? Who asked first if she could share? My my name is uh, Deborah Devorelay, and I'd like to share very briefly. And after that, was it Sarah? Yes. Okay, Devorelaya, and then Sarah. Yeah, uh, my name is you know Devorelaya S. Uh, um, Stein, and um, I live in New York City. Uh, I just I I, I just want to say that. Uh, I had a real suicide attempt when I realized I was so terribly heavy. I was in denial about being very fat. And um, all of a sudden, I don't know, a number of circumstances came together. And I was crossing the street in a wheelchair, motorized chair. It was called the scooter. And I decided I wanted to get hit by an 18-wheel tractor trailer. So when I read this paragraph... I'm very impressed with this guy because he did not try to commit suicide, and I'm sure many of the people who jumped were not alcoholics. And so he's a tough man, and it goes to show you that he helped found Alcoholics Anonymous, that the man has metal, you know, metal, I don't know if it's M-E-T-T-L-E or how you spell it, but the man has the makings and the markings of a great person, I'm sorry he was alcoholic and he had to go back to drinking, but we say in the program sometimes that the eating saved our lives at different points, that maybe we couldn't have lived without it. Maybe it's good that he was a drinker, that he could go in the bar instead of jumping off a roof, you know, and uh, somehow I I like this guy and I, I like his interesting life. And, uh, that, you know, you, you know, and, um, uh, I'm glad that he didn't try to commit suicide like I did. It, it was a miracle that I survived. Uh, I was, the scooter was broken into four pieces. I flew in the air very high. I weighed over 300 pounds. And when I came down, I landed on my thigh and now I'm a cripple because of my thigh. I cannot walk without holding on or without a walker in the street or a wheelchair. So I'm very proud of this guy that he did not jump. That, that You know, <laughs> I really feel that way. And uh, he didn't jump. Isn't that great? Okay, thank you for letting me share. Uh, bye. <laughs> I'll pass. Thank you, Deborah Leah. Sarah? Good, good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Sarah W. from Iowa, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I, I you know, I see so much in this paragraph. I, I love how how Bill puts um, puts words to the paper. Um, and you know, the thing I see in him is that he's constantly chasing pleasure that, um, you know, that's his primary purpose. And and there's a lot of selfishness in this. You know, his judgment of other people, you know, 
the idea that somebody would say that he was disgusted, he was disgusted that people were jumping instead of the fact that how sad and how awful that, that people had come to that place. And, and also his fantasy life, you know, like, um, you know, like was talked about in the previous paragraphs, you know, he's going to be the best and the greatest. And, you know, the identifying in that I can do with that is yes, you know, um, it's because I feel so little that during my eating, I feel so big, you know, or I feel like, you know, no, no emotions can touch me. Um, you know, he's, he's wanting to be, uh, you know, the biggest and the best, as other people stated. You know, I, I felt like that too. I wanted to be Jacqueline Smith. I don't know if any of you remember that. <laughs> you know, one of Charlie's angels. You know, I wanted to be beautiful. I wanted to be the most intelligent. I wanted to, you know, I, I couldn't have two friends. I had to have one because I wanted to be that person's best friend. I mean, all these insane thoughts and behaviors, but really it stemmed from my insecurity and my selfishness. Um, and, and here we are. He wouldn't jump, you know, was, was he in some senses a chicken? I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, judge him, but I would say, you know, he went back to the bar. He didn't want to look at it. He didn't want to feel it. Uh, you know, money was power. And how many people in life money is power to, you know, that, that relationships, you know, in the end, am I going to care about what I have as far as monetarily or am I going to care about the people? And I think that's what I, I come back to when I think about being recovered or being a person that has walked through the steps that isn't in the food. The grace of God and the, and the, um, the, the gratitude that I have for the fact that I care about the people in my life, my relationships, that I want to be the person that God would have me be. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Hi, th- hi. This is Berta. May I share? Thank you, Sarah. Berta, go right ahead. Yes, this is Berta. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Illinois. Um, I wanted to share on this paragraph because I, it reminded me of myself before my recovery. Uh, he, he's disgusted about these people jumping, and he wobbles from the bar into the office. So he's he's already uh, he's already drunk and. He looks around and observes the situation, and he says, so what? Tomorrow's another day. And then the fierce determination to win came back. And it reminded me of when I was in my disease and in the food. I never wanted to talk about my problems. They had to pretty much remain secret. And I was very good at telling other people how to live their lives. I was the person who liked to fix other people while my own life was falling around, you know, around me. And so when I took that first step, I was ready to say I was powerless over food. I had come to that point, you know. However, when it came to saying my life is unmanageable, I was like, well, I could see people around me were in pretty bad shape, but I couldn't see my own situation clearly at all. And it took me a while, even when I put the food down, to see that. Because 
like Bill, my ego was so huge. And that the lifestyle of being, just the, having the mind of an addict like Bill does, I don't know, I, I, I think I thought different than some people do. That my ego was so huge. And so, for instance, like if they had a potluck at, at the office, well, oh, I would just go up and have a small salad, and I would always bring a sweet dessert to share and then go home and eat like crazy. But you know what? In order to get that, in order to get anything to the office, I had to put it in the trunk of my car or I would eat it before I got there. And these were the secrets that no one could find out about. And so when other people uh, would fail in some way, I would be disgusted with them. And if they would only come to me, I could have helped them because I could share with them my spirituality, you know. I I always would say, God is going to bring you through it, you know. But I had no real relationship with God. So, you know, that's what it makes me think of, that he was was disgusted and he was just going to go drink. Because whatever problem came my way, I would just get into the food and it would, I would, everything would just go numb and I would be happy and life could go on again. And then if I felt guilty about eating, and miserable and sick, I would say, oh, well, tomorrow I'll start over and I'll, I'll do a great job tomorrow. And, and, of course, it never happened until I finally worked the steps. I did not just reading about them, but actually working the steps, actually admitting that my life was unmanageable and coming to believe in a power greater than myself. And working through those steps, it changed my thinking and Thank God it transformed my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Berta. Would anyone else okay. like to share? This is Chelsea. Hannah? This is Liz. Leah. This is Sharon. May I share? <laughs> okay. I think I heard Chelsea, Janice, Liz, Liz. Leah, and then... And Sharon. Sharon? Oh, Sharon. Sharon. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, if we all pay attention to our time, we might be able to squeeze everyone in. <laughs> but we will start with Chelsea and see how it goes. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. This is Chelsea, recovered compulsive overeater for today. This um, um, reading, just the whole Bill story in the first couple of eight pages, just reminds me of how futile it is trying to run my life on self-will. And it shows me also how self-will run riot turns out in my life while I'm in the food and while I'm in the liquor in my case, too. And as I, I made the choice earlier on when I see here in Bill's stories when he said I'd prove to the world I was important, once I did that, I turned my back on any other source that could have helped me because at that point, I thought self would be able to handle the job. And this just speaks to how relying on self, bouncing around from thing to thing, trying to get my happiness that way and trying to get my feeling that I need to be so much, self will run riot, out of control, out of bounds. And that whole um, trying to say that I could do the job myself, If it doesn't work this way, I'll try another way. If it doesn't work that way, I'll try another way. Pride, self-will, run riot. That's what this spoke to me about today. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Chelsea, and for keeping it short. Janice? 
And I'll do the same. Thank you, Janice, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Yes, I just heard the word pride. And, oh, boy, that's a big one. Thinking so highly of myself that I could do anything, I'll be able to do this. See, pride comes before the fall. And, you know, this is Bill. And he was a a driven, motivated man. Um, And he was going to find a solution. And his solution was always one thing, and he found it in alcohol. Alcohol, finance, that was his higher power. If you notice, high finance, oh, boy, money, success. That was going to be my, that's the solution. But his real solution was to get back, oh, I'm not going to jump, but I'll go back to the bar and drink. See, he he felt different. He was unique. But all it was was his justification and rationalization at the time. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice, also for being brief. Liz? Hi, it's Liz from New Hampshire. Uh, Very quickly, uh, I think what strikes me here is um, his arrogance, just incredible arrogance. And two things, Um, tomorrow is another day. I always had great plans for tomorrow. Uh, I can eat, and tomorrow will be another day, and I'll do this and I'll do that, and I would wake up in the morning, and those plans would evaporate completely. But what struck me was uh, he would be sitting at the bar having that drink, and when I was reading this um, over the weekend, I was thinking he was really, in, in some way, jumping off a tower with the rest of the men who were jumping off the of towers with that drink as he was sitting there. Um metaphorically um that drink was sort of a slow he was slowly jumping off a tower um himself and uh you know i think that was very important for me to kind of understand that his 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 decline in this story he's jumping off that tower right along with the rest of the men who are jumping off the tower that he's so disgusted with and um he doesn't even realize it, but that's exactly what he's doing um, for different reasons, but that's exactly what he's doing. And I think in many ways he's completely disgusted with himself. And uh, perhaps that's what really is what's going on. I think a lot of times when I was disgusted with other people, it's because what I was really feeling was this disgust with myself. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Leah? Thank you so much, Rebecca, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Um, you know, that's his solution to this problem <laughs> is another drink. And, you know, it makes me think about, you know, uh, the fact that we apply steps to every life challenge that appears on our horizon uh people will often say you know why are the steps god is god you know our only solution and and why should we uh balk at something at a suggestion like that i mean you know alcohol was always bill's solution compulsive overeating was always my solution i never remember having a problem where i said boy you know here's one problem i'm not going to binge over I had one answer for all my problems, and that was to dig my fist deeper into cellophane bags and bakery boxes. 
Um, you know, I had a rough time living. <laughs> I didn't have a rough time compulsively overeating. I did that very well. Thank you very much. Um, I had a rough time living, you know, and uh, when I look at this paragraph and I and I see Bill's self-centeredness and his fear and his self-will run riot, his uh, self-reliance, um, I see that those character traits nearly destroyed his life. This fierce determination, which, you know, appears to be like a highly motivated, determined, uh, brilliant man, um, actually... Uh, will, you know, be the cause of self-destruction. Um, you know, <laughs> dead is dead. Whether you're jumping off of a, a building or drinking yourself into cirrhosis of the liver, dead is dead. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Sharon? Oh, hi, Rebecca. This is Sharon. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm Sharon, a recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado, and I just wanted to uh, state tomorrow was another day as I drank the old fierce determination to win came back. And that's what I've seen so clearly in both these paragraphs that we've read this morning is is uh, my unwillingness to believe that my life was unmanageable. Um, just living in a fantasy life that um, everything I was doing made sense, everything that I did uh, wasn't like what other people were doing, and that I could, uh, again, <clears throat> you know, make it work on my terms and in my way. And it's just um, such a sad tale of self-destruction. And that's what I see on these pages is uh, how I lived my life with not one sane thought in there. And uh, I'm just so grateful that that's not where I am today by uh, working these steps and doing what I'm t supposed to do one day at a time. And uh, thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Chelsea please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Chelsea. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>